Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here again. seems like yesterday I was here. Again, a warm uh, hello from Emmanuel Baptist Church of Sacramento as well, uh, where I'm a member there. And uh, it's just great to be back here again and uh, get to know you more and the faces a bit more. And uh, so it's good to be here. Apologies if you uh, see me yawning uh, throughout throughout the service. My wife and I have just moved house recently down into West Sac. On top of that, we've got a five-month-old puppy who wakes me up at four o'clock in the morning. And so, I mean, I say puppy, she, she's 60 pounds. She's a big dog. She, she's going to be over, she's about 130 pounds when she's full. And I don't know what I was doing or thinking about when I got the dog. But the last two mornings, I've been woken up at 4.15, trying to keep her quiet because otherwise the neighbors will complain. And I don't want to do that when I've just moved into the, 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 the community. But anyway, it's great to be back here. And we're, again, as we, uh, as the passage was read. We're going to be in Colossians 1, so if you do have your Bibles, please open up to Colossians 1. And we will be focusing on verses 9 and 10 that were uh, read there, but I want to just read from from the beginning of chapter 1 just to give you a bit of background as well. So we're going to just read Colossians chapter 1. We're just going to read the first 10 verses, but we'll be focusing on the 9th and 10th verse. And so Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit." And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let's say pray together at this time. Father, we want to thank you again for this opportunity to come here this morning to worship you freely. Lord, we just ask at this time you would calm our hearts and clear our minds of all the daily things that that clog up our brains, Lord, all the things that take our uh, hearts off you, Lord. We just ask that our hearts would be in tune to you, Lord. We ask that your spirit would be uh, with us in power, giving us wisdom as we study your word together. And Lord, we just ask that Christ would be glorified, that you would be made known here this morning through your word. And Lord, if there's anyone in here that does not know you, that has not put their faith in Christ and repented of their sins, we, Lord, we ask this would be the day of their salvation. And so, Lord, preach through uh, myself, Lord, help me to be clear. And we ask that your word and your spirit would do the work that you have promised. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the songs we sung this morning, the first one we sung was Behold Our God. And I was just, one of the verses uh, went quite well with what we're going to be talking about this morning. 
And it says, who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? I want you to keep that that theme of God's wisdom, God's all-knowing, all-powerful. Just keep that in mind as we think about uh, what we're going to talk about this morning. And so we live in a world where people walk according to their own standards. They have their own moral standards, their own moral compasses. And of course, the problem is, is not everyone has the same standards. People have higher standards. People have lower standards. People have right standards and what you think are wrong standards. And the thing is, they take, people take wisdom from various different sources. And in the outside world, if, if they're not, uh, again, believers, they take their wisdom from the outside world. They take their wisdom from the world. And we see things, we see left-wing politicians. We see right-wing politicians. We see center-left politicians. We see center-right politicians. We see politicians that don't know what they're talking about or don't know what they believe. We see people, uh, we see people somewhere in the middle. We see government policies that are all governed by somebody's moral standard. Somebody has decided this is a good thing for humanity. This thing isn't. And that's what we want to think about this morning whether it be policies of freedom of speech, abortion laws, health care, even how to raise our children in a sinful world that is governed by human sinful moral compasses, moral compasses that have been corrupted by sin, it ends up just being utter chaos as we see that in the world today. We see people believing one thing, we see people believing another thing, but actually what we need, and as what we're going to talk about today, is what we need is true wisdom wisdom that we can rely on wisdom that is perfect in every way knowledge and wisdom that we can risk our whole life on knowing it is true and so we often seek knowledge from other people from celebrities from tv shows from the news but the thing is nobody knows everything in this world and that's the problem we have as we read in the first kind of the first kind of eight verses, the, the background to what we're going to be looking at, we saw that in uh, chapter one uh, of Colossians, we saw how here in uh, verse seven, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he brought the gospel to the people of Colossae, and then started the church there. And most scholars, biblical scholars, would agree that uh, Epaphras actually heard the gospel while Paul was doing his tour. Uh, round uh, again round through his missionary journeys and at some point along the way Epaphras heard the gospel preached by Paul that's how they know each other and then he goes back to Colossae and preaches the gospel there and next thing you know there's a church in Colossae and then Paul writes to this church and by the way Paul never actually visited the Colossian church he wrote a letter to them but he had never actually been there himself so he writes uh, and mentions Epaphras and that's why he's in there And so Paul talking about, again, the first few verses, talking about how great the works are, that people are being saved, people are coming to uh, knowledge of Christ through the gospel. What we're going to look at today and what we see is that Paul doesn't want us just to be saved and that's it, but he wants wants to see the progress after salvation. He wants to see sanctification. And we're going to look at just one uh, of the ways in how we are sanctified, and that's through wisdom and understanding. See, Paul has said that the gospel is bearing fruit and it's increasing and that people are being added to the church. 
And so as I said before, we don't want to just think about, okay, we're saved and that's it. We become a Christian. But then how do we progress? How do we grow as Christians? And that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning. And so to know God's will as we, as, we, as we are Christians and as we live our lives, as we walk the walk of faith, we need to think about how do we know God's will? How do we know what we are doing is what God wants us to do in our daily lives? And so to know God's will, we must have, as, as Paul mentions, spiritual wisdom. To know God's will, we have to have spiritual wisdom. Paul says we're to be filled with the knowledge of his will. This means we are expected to know God's will for our lives. And the Greek word that Paul uses for the word fill there is pleru, and that literally means to cram or to level up. And the root word of pleru is plerez, which means to cover, to be complete or full. And so when he says we are to be filled with the knowledge of, of his will, of God's will, it means we're to be covered in it, we're to be full of it, we are to know God's will for our life. And Paul expects that as Christians. And of course, we don't know everything as soon as God saves us and regenerates our hearts that automatically we know everything that God wants us to do. It's a sanctification. It's a process that takes all our lives to keep learning and learning and learning. And so the question is, how do we know what God's will is for our lives? Well, we read the next part, as I talked about, it's all in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. First, we need to notice that wisdom, which leads to understanding, is not wisdom that's come from any other human being. It's not understanding that's been learned from the news, from politicians, from governments or celebrities. It's spiritual wisdom. Wisdom that comes from God. That is the wisdom you should be basing your life on. And we're going to talk about that. Where do we get that wisdom? And this sounds pretty simple, but people, people's lives are a mess because they don't, take God, they don't listen to God's wisdom. They don't listen to his word. They just decide to do their own thing. You see, the sinful human heart is so sinful that Solomon, the wisest man to ever live before Christ came on earth, God gave him great wisdom, yet because of his sinful nature, he still fell into sin, married about a million wives and concubines, went against God's law and sinned against God, even though he had all the, all the wisdom better than anyone else had ever had it. And so for us as sinful human beings, we need to think about where do we get our wisdom? From God. How do we get our wisdom? The main point that I want to talk about today. Spiritual wisdom comes from God's word. God's word, the Bible, is where we get our wisdom from, is where we should always get our wisdom from. We seek God by reading his word. All spiritual wisdom comes from the word of God, and in turn, the Holy Spirit works through the word and applies it to our hearts and in our various circumstances throughout our daily lives. And so when we read the word, we see how God operates. We see how God interacts with people, uh, again, throughout history. We see that when Christ came, how he interacted with his disciples and with the people of Samaria and Judea and everywhere else he went. And so we see these things as we read his word. Let me give you an illustration. A student goes into an exam, comes out of it confident that he's, that he's completed the exam, that he's passed the exam. A month later, the exam results come out and he finds out he's failed the exam. 
And he's thinking to himself, how did I feel that? I was so confident that I'd passed it. One of his, one of his teachers goes, well, did you study for the exam? And he says, no, I just went in and did the exam. I thought if I just attended all the lectures at college that I would be able to pass it, no problem. Now, where I'm from, believe it or not, to pass in college, you need 40% as a minimum pass. So to fail under 40% is pretty bad. But the student thought, the student thought I'm, I attended all the classes. Surely that means I should pass the exam. But I think sometimes we can be like that student. We think that if we read God's word for five minutes, if we just skim the pages, maybe just read, skim read a chapter or skim read a couple of verses, that, oh, we're going to understand what God's talking about. And, and you know, that's going to be, we're going to get through the day with that bit of wisdom. But actually, like that student, we need to put the work in. And we need to put the work in if we want to understand what God is telling us in his word. His word is the primary method he has given us to communicate with us so that we could live godly lives, holy lives that are, that are pleasing to him. And so we, to gain this spiritual wisdom that leads to understanding that Paul talks about, we need to study the word of God. Spiritual wisdom comes from the word of of God. And I want to split that up. That's the main point I want to think about this morning is that to get spiritual wisdom and understanding, you need to read your Bibles. You need to read the Word of God. But I want to break that down a bit. So the first thing I want to mention is spiritual wisdom comes through biblical principles. There's many times in the Bible where God clearly gives commands like the Ten Commandments or telling Noah to build an ark or telling you know, somebody to go somewhere or go here, go there. You know, there's black and white commands that God says, do this, okay, I'm going to go do that. Abraham, go uh, into the unknown land. Okay, Abraham gets up. He goes into the unknown land. Jesus instructing his disciples through the New Testament, giving his commands to the disciples. But what we need to understand is what, for the example with Jesus and his disciples, what are the motives behind God's commands? When God tells somebody in the Bible to do something, why is it he's telling them to do it? Well, Jesus, and, and the example of Jesus and his disciples, he did it out of the love for his people. He did it to teach the people. He wanted to glorify his father. And he wanted to see people repent of their sins and be saved. And so biblical principles comes down to uh, the thinking behind God's commands. So when we see God's commands, of course, we are to obey that command. But think about why did God give that command? What is he trying to change in our heart? Not just on the surface level, But what is he actually trying to change in our heart to make us think more like him, to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ, to have our mind renewed, to be washed in the word? And so the instructions Jesus gave to his disciples were directly for them in their specific context. But that doesn't mean we can't learn from what he said. Just because he said to that specific group at that specific time about 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that we can't learn from it today. It doesn't mean that we can't take a biblical principle from what he said. The Great Commission, for for example, he tells his disciples to go and make more disciples uh, and, and baptize them. So he tells them to do that. He tells his disciples to physically do that. But then that doesn't mean that only they were to do it. That doesn't mean only the 12 disciples there were to go and baptize and to, to make disciples. What, why was he doing it? We're to, we, know, we know as Christians, if you're a Christian in here today, you will know that we are called to continue to make disciples, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
But what's the motive, the motive of Christ's command to do that? The motive is Christ's love for the lost, for the growth of his church, for the growth of his kingdom, and again, for the glory of God. And we see those motives all the way throughout Scripture, even if it's not direct, uh, directly taught or directly said, like the words, you must do this, are not there. But we can glean from the way that Jesus acts, from the way that God in the Old Testament acts, that he wants them to do that because of this, because that's wrong and this is right. So if God, and God never changes, so what, what he says there, I still need to take that to heart today. And so when we want to make, going back to the, 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 the example of Jesus and the disciples and the Great Commission, so when we're wanting to make a decision about reaching the lost, how to grow Christ's kingdom, then we need to look at the principles and motives behind the Great Commission. Again, I'm just using the Great Commission as, a, as an example. What are the motives and the principles that God gives in his word that would be for the Great Commission? We need to let those biblical principles influence our decisions and not our own hearts or our own wants or our own wisdom. And so when it comes to God's word, we need to think about when we make a decision, when we want to, for example, go and reach the lost, are we doing it so that we earn our name would be famed? Or are we doing it so that God would be famed, that God would be glorified, and that somebody would truly repent of their sins and turn to Christ? The, sin, the, heart, the human heart is sinful beyond belief. There's nothing that we could not do if it were not for God's grace upon us. And so when we go to reach the lost in this example, we need to think, why, are, why am I going to talk to my neighbor? Is it just to have a chit-chat? Do I want to make myself seem good and tell them how, how good a job I have or how much money I have? Or am I doing it because I really want to see them saved and I want to see them in God's kingdom in eternity? You've got to have that thinking process. What, what molds your thoughts? Many times we see those uh, motives that Christ had in the New Testament, but we see them in the Old Testament as well. And since Christ is God and all three members of the Godhead are in complete perfect unity... It shouldn't surprise us that the motives Jesus has during his ministry on earth in the New Testament, those motives, God has the same motives in the Old Testament. I want to just quickly read Joshua 1 verses 7 and 8. I'll just read it out here just to give you an Old Testament example. Joshua 1 verses 7 and 8. Again, it's very well-known verses. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now let me just, I want to just flesh this out. Now, first of all, I don't want to take that passage out of context. God is clearly telling Joshua that, Joshua, if you obeyed me, Israel would conquer their enemies and enter the promised land. That was the promise made to Joshua there in that context. However, even though this is an Old Testament text where God, uh, where God is clearly speaking to Joshua about the specific uh, act that he wanted him to do, we can still learn what Paul calls spiritual wisdom from this text. I'm sure most of you would agree. God says that if Joshua was to obey the law of Moses and not stray from its teachings, then he would have success. He was told he should never forget the law. It shall not depart from your mouth. 
He was told to read about it and think about it all the time. He says it was to meditate on it day and night. Remember, the law of Moses in Joshua's day was was his Bible. The law was, was the Bible of the Old Testament. And so, even though he only had part of what we had today, God told him, follow my commands, follow what I have written down in the law, on the, on the tablets of stone, listen to them, obey them, and you will be prosperous. You will have good success. Now, the good success in Joshua's context was, of course, the material success of conquering uh, the land and getting into the promised land. But that doesn't mean we can't apply that to our lives today. It doesn't mean we can't glean spiritual wisdom from it today. We're now blessed with the full revelation of God, and we know that Christ is its pinnacle. But there's a lesson to be learned from the Old Testament from this example. The spiritual wisdom and understanding, as Paul puts it, that we can gain from that Old Testament passage is that we're not to stray from God's law. Now, we know that that God's law has been fulfilled in Christ, but that doesn't mean we aren't to follow it. It doesn't mean we're to strive to keep it and obey it because God God says, even Paul says, that, that God's law is still good. Okay, Christ completed it, but it is still good. It's still going to be beneficial to our lives. And so what we can understand, <coughs> excuse me, what we can understand from this Old Testament passage about Joshua is that we're to continually meditate on God's word, that we aren't to stray from it. We're not to forget it. Meaning that if we continue to study and learn our Bibles, and that's where we get our wisdom from, then we will have what, what in Joshua says, good success if we listen to God, if we study his word, if we do not forget his law, forget his Bible, if we actually listen to it and obey it, then we will have good success. Now, the caveat is, good success doesn't mean we're going to go conquer Mexico or something like that. That's not what he's, that's not what he's talking about. But a good success for us could be that God just blesses you with multiple blessings, things that you may not even expect. But in turn, the, the important thing is, The good success is that you're pleasing God, that you're glorifying him, you're giving him all praise and honor and glory that he deserves, and also it's showing that you trust God, the one who created you, the one who sent his son to die for you. In your obedience, you're saying, I trust you with my life. I trust that you are good. And when we we rebel and we don't do what he says, when we do not listen to his word, that is us saying, I trust myself better than you, God. That's our sinful hearts that do that. And we need to fight against that with the help of God. And so there's no better place to be but in God's will. God blesses obedience. He blesses faithfulness of his people. He delights in it. And as I said, God will bless us in many ways. That good success that was Joshua's, we can have that good success as well. But it will come in different various forms. It will come in lots of different blessings that we don't even uh, know or won't find out until later on. You know, we might want, you know, oh, does that mean I'm going to have lots of money if I obey God? No, that doesn't, it's, that's just an example. That's not what it means. It means you'll become more like Christ, and God will bless you in multiple different ways, and in ways that beyond your wildest dreams. But it's not a prosperity gospel. It's saying that if you listen to me, your life, uh, your life will glorify me, and ultimately that is our ultimate good. God sent his spirit into us. God saved us so that we could become more like Christ. That is our ultimate goal. Sanctification's ultimate goal is to become more 
like Christ. And to become more like Christ, we need to think like Christ. And to think like Christ, we need to read his word. Does that make sense? So it, it goes around in a big circle. Now, that text in Joshua that I gave you, that's a pretty straightforward one. When you read it, you, can, you, can, you, know, you could read that and go, yep, I understand that. Oh, yeah, God's law is important. Okay, I need to meditate on it. I need to think about it. Um, God will bless me if I'm obedient to him. And I understand that, that that passage is a bit more straightforward. But I understand also there are plenty of passages in the Bible that are harder to understand. It's harder to find out what is the, what is the spiritual wisdom that God's trying to give me here. And that's when it comes back to, unlike the student, we need to study our Bibles. If you're reading a difficult passage and you have no idea what it means, whether it be Revelation or whether it be one of the poetic passages where there's lots of metaphors and imagery, <coughs> you actually need to do the hard work. It's not just your pastor that has to read and, and, get, and study hard. Everyone is called to be a theologian to one extent. Everyone who is a Christian who really wants to know God should have that drive to say, I want to understand what that means. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have to, have to, you're going to, have to learn Greek and Hebrew. You know, go and do that if you want to. But that doesn't mean like the average, uh, I don't want to use the word average, but you know, the, the average church member who's not like a pastor who's preaching regularly doesn't need to learn all the ins and outs. But what it means is when you're reading a passage, you want to learn the context. Okay, Say it's a big, complicated passage. It has a bunch of imagery. You're thinking, okay, well, what's the context? Who, who, wrote, the, who wrote the book or, or the letter to, or whatever? Who wrote it to who? What, who is it writing to? What's, what's, what's happening in that time in history that caused that letter to be written or caused this book to be written? Okay, now I need to research. Okay, what's, this imagery was used. There's a lot of imagery in the Bible that's used that actually a lot of Jewish people would understand that Western people just have no clue. And so you have, to do, you have to do your research. You have to do your studying when it comes to harder passages of the Bible. Because then, actually, because what I've found is I've, you know, uh, tackled harder passages and I, I, and I learn, you know, like maybe a historical thing about the Jewish people and how, that, how what God said to them there makes sense to them and not to like somebody who's just reading it for the first time. You, it clicks and you go, God was saying X to them. God was saying this to them so that they would do that. But you don't know that. You won't learn that unless you study. We're not going to pass the test if we don't study. But the great thing is as well, is yes, we need to work hard. Yes, we need to, to study the word. But we also, have, we also have one great thing or one great person who can help us study the Bible. And that's God's spirit. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. God gave us a spirit to comfort us, to instruct us, to guide our lives. And when we, we read God's word, the spirit works with the word to apply it to our hearts, to make it um, more applicable for our daily lives. We all have different circumstances and the Holy Spirit helps to, helps to make, make, it, sorry, make it make sense in, in your life. And so learning and understanding the principles of God's word and applying them in our life successfully means that we will, as Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so we're called, we're called to increase in the knowledge of God, to increase in the knowledge of God's word, which will come with increased studying and, and reading God's word, taking time to read it, not just five minutes a day. Do 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day. Make time for it. 
You see, being able to apply biblical wisdom to our circumstances requires that that we know God's word inside and out. Notice that Paul expects the Colossian church to continue to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding through increasing in the knowledge of increasing the knowledge of God, excuse me. This only happens by attending church regularly, when you'll sit under the preaching of the word every week, but it also happens through private study and private prayer and self-study. As I said before, if you only read your Bible once a week on a Sunday and you don't pray very often, you're not going to learn anything. And so if you don't actually understand what God's word says about a certain situation or you haven't read that part yet because you don't you only read it once a week when you come across a certain circumstance or you have a big decision to make in your life God is not going to be um, influencing that decision because you won't actually know what he's saying you know very very rarely does God use his spirit and go you know without any knowledge and go oh you're going to do this oh the spirit's leading me to do this that and the next thing no 99% of the time God's word is what, is what guides us. It's, it's what gives us the principles to live our lives by. Principles that will glorify God. We have the old, the old, the old um, proverb, knowledge is power. We have Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you, if, if you turn away from God's wisdom, uh, again, if you do not read his word, then God says you're a fool. You're a fool not to listen to the God who created this universe, who created you, who loves you, who knows what's best for you, and you turn around and say, no, I'm going to go do it my own way. That's, God says you're a fool to do that. And that's a harsh word, but God wants what's best for us. And so successfully applying God's principles means thinking about a situation or a decision and ask yourself these questions. This is not exhaustive list. But ask yourself these three questions when you've got a big decision to make <clears throat> or you're about to do something. One big thing, will it glorify God? You're about to make a big decision. Will this decision, whatever I'm wanting to do, whatever way I want to go, which one is going to glorify God? Also, does God have anything particular to say about the situation or the context? Is there, a, is there somewhere in God's word where God clearly says, yep, this is, this is black, this is white, this is right, this is wrong? If it is, great, you've got your answer straight away. You know, people say, oh, I don't know what God thinks about this. Well, if you're about to kill someone, God says mur- murder is sin, so you do, definitely don't want to kill someone. Like, that's just an example. That's a bit harsh, but you know what I mean. But, again, there's a, lot, there's a lot of the time where we maybe have to make a decision. We all know that the Bible doesn't address every single specific circumstance we're ever going to have in our life. And that's where biblical principles come into play. If we understand God's motives behind his commands, then we can understand his motives. Okay, God, God is thinking about this, and this is why he tells us to do this in this command. And so, is there any biblical principles that apply to this situation? So, will it glorify God has God made it clear if this is a right or a wrong thing to do? And if, if it's not clear, okay, what biblical principles guide this decision? Is it, going to, is it going to, you know, say you're going to move house somewhere, like to a, to a different country or a different state. You're thinking, will it glorify God? Well, it could glorify God if there's a good church there and I can join the church there and, 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 and worship there. Okay, uh, does God have anything to say about the particular situation? Well, God, I don't think, particularly says anything about moving churches. But 
what biblical, what biblical principles apply to the situation. This is where the biblical principle thing comes in. God calls, uh, if you're a man and you're ahead of the family, this is just an example, God calls, okay, what's a biblical principle? Okay, I'm to love my wife. I'm to look after my family. I'm to provide for my family. I'm not going to move halfway across the country if I don't have a job to provide for my family. Do you, under, do you see what I'm doing there? I'm taking a biblical principle and thinking God tells me to provide for my family. Okay, okay, moving might be okay. Going to a different church might be okay. I'll, okay, I'll worship God there and I'll praise God there. But if I'm moving somewhere and I can't provide for my family, eh, wrong. You can't do that because you're then violating a biblical principle that God gave in his word. And so that's why it's important to know all the word of God. I'm not saying you have to memorize you know, the whole Bible to, at one go. I'm just saying you have to know the biblical principles. You have to study it enough. You have to read it enough to know what, you know, okay, will this honor God? Yes. Is there any biblical principles I need to be aware about? Okay, not everything's good. Okay, that sounds like a good decision. And God will honor that. And if you take your time and you pray uh, and ask God for, for wisdom, you know, it might be God will send divine intervention and just like, no, you can't go there. You can't do that. Or no, this is wrong. You need to go this way. But God will honor, if you seek him first, seek him first and him first always, he will honor that. Even if the decision is a wrong decision, he'll, he'll make sure you know it's wrong and he'll guide you in the right direction. And that's why it's important to know the word of God. Our whole lives are to worship God and so we need to do that. Everything we do with our bodies, any decision or any action we take should be aimed at glorifying God. Paul says in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says in Romans here that we're, not, that we're to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. How is God going to renew our minds? By his spirit and by his word. It's the word that renews our mind so that we can, by testing, discern what is the will of God, discern what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect to God. And so as we know, as I said before, the Bible doesn't give every single uh, answer to any situation we're going to ever do. But you see, many people who call themselves Christians openly sin and ignore God's clear warnings in his word. And God will judge them for their actions. There are, I'm sure, you know, I'm not going to name any names or any particular places or whatever, but we all know just by looking at the news and through, through the Christian world, we see Christians who are clearly violating black and white commands that are in his word. God says, do not do this, but they say, mm, it's okay, he only meant it for them, it's good for us, we're in 2018, da 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 God makes it clear, and I'm not trivializing that, God makes it clear, this is right, this is wrong, and we need to obey that. And, in, and, and turning away from that and saying, no, no, that's okay, you know, I want to do it this way. Again, as I go back to it, you're rejecting God's wisdom, and God says that's foolish to reject my wisdom. Just because your sinful heart says it's right doesn't mean it's right. We actually blind ourselves to the sin in our heart by doing that. And again, so for more, con so the black and white issues, they just, they, they're black and white, yes or no, you have to obey that. 
And again, you might struggle with it. You might struggle to understand it. You might have a temptation towards something that God says is wrong. And that's where, again, you ask God to help you. You read his word. And of course, you have other mature Christians in your life, which I'll talk about in a minute, to help you through those things. But again, for maybe more contentious issues in the gray areas, decisions that you, you know, God doesn't explicitly say what's right and what's wrong, you use the biblical principles that you have learned through your study to govern, to govern um, the decisions. Whether it's looking at God, how he dealt with Israel, and the decisions that he took regarding Israel, or whether it's through how Jesus spoke to his disciples, how he addressed the multiple different issues that he addresses in the Gospels and how he reacted to them. Okay, how did Jesus react to that? Okay, that's how I should react to that. Jesus came across this type of opposition. I'm coming across the same type of opposition. What did Jesus do about it? Okay, let me try and imitate what Jesus did. And you're not going to do it perfectly because we're not Jesus. But if you, if you do it earnestly and honestly and ask God for help, he will help you. You're, God will send the Spirit to help. And so that is what spiritual wisdom and understanding is. It's applying biblical principles. And when we apply biblical principles in the situation that God has given us, then we will be doing God's will. Remember, being in God's will means applying biblical principles to the situations that God has sovereignly put you in. Every situation, every decision you have to make, God has ordained that you be in that situation, that you are there. God is sovereign. I talked about that last time I was here. And so when God puts you in a situation or allows you to be in a situation, that's him saying, okay, honor me in this situation. Honor me. Make the right decision. And that's how you be in God's will. God's will is doing what God, what God would do in that situation. But the only way we would know what God would do in that situation is if we read his word and learn how he thinks, how, again, how, as much as we can with our finite minds, learn how he thinks, how Jesus portrays him, how Jesus is portrayed in the Gospels, and we try and mimic that and mimic that personality. And so the final point I want to make is we're talking about the Bible being the core, the core uh, uh, source of wisdom. We've talked about studying the Word. We've talked about Paul saying we're expected to grow uh, in spiritual wisdom and understanding. But also spiritual wisdom is taught through the church, through the local church. Bearing fruit can show itself in many ways, whether it's church growth in numbers, spiritual maturity of the individuals, um, you know, various other things. But God expects us to bear fruit as his people, to continue in sanctification, to become more like Christ each day until we get to that final day when we will be redeemed and we will be made new. But Christ tells us that we are to bear fruit to prove that we are his people, to prove that we can give true glory to God. John 15, 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If you study your Bible, and you learn the biblical principles, and you apply those biblical principles to the decisions that you're going to make, then you are going to be seen as bearing fruit. And that fruit is proof that you have been saved that you really, truly belong to Christ and that you glorify the Father. But again, in the local church context, this is where humility comes into play. This is where the church helps. We, we need to be humble. We need to realize, 
again, everyone in this building and everyone at IBC and all the churches around the world, we all need help with something. We're all struggling with something or, or something else. I, whether it be a, you know, a sin or just like an issue at work or family or whatever it is, we need to have the humility to say, I need help. Somebody come along, a mature member in the church and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I've got this issue. Can you help me with it? Can you give me some wisdom from it? And that's where mature Christians come in. Ephesians 4, 15, 16, very well-known verses. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, talking about the church, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church is called, is, again, it's, you know, it's called a body. And when it's all working together, when we're all helping each other, when we're all guiding each other with biblical principles, we're going to grow up and edify ourselves in love. In today's 21st century society, it's a very individualistic society. I think you'd, some of you would probably agree with that. Everyone wants to go and do their own thing. Oh, you can't say that. That offends me. Oh, you can't say that. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. No one wants to ask for help. When somebody asks for help, a lot of the time, they're ridiculed for it. Oh, look at that person. They need help with this. They struggle with this. Social media has isolated people from the outside world. People put their problems online. People seek for answers online rather than actually speaking to a mature adult. Doesn't even, never mind if you're a believer or not, but just speaking to a mature adult who's maybe lived 50, 60 years, who knows how the world goes, who's been around the block, but rather than a young person going to them say, I'm struggling with this, I need help, they put their problems online and 15-year-old has a problem with something and then what happens? All the other 15-year-olds give advice. You, you can just see where that goes. But that, that's what happens in today's world, especially with social media and internet and all this stuff. And so that's even just an outside world, but when it comes to the church and you're a Christian and you have a spiritual problem, or maybe there's a specific sin or a temptation that you're struggling with, that's when, rather than posting it online, you go to a mature member of the church. You go to your elders, ask one of your deacons, or maybe just a mature, a mature person who's been a Christian for a long time, who has good standing in the church, and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Now, the, the aspect of this church, and the, the, sorry, not the aspect, the mentality of this church and the mentality of every other church should be, yes, I can help you. That, whoever's struggling with something shouldn't feel ridiculed, should not feel embarrassed by coming up to somebody and saying, hey, I've got a problem. I need help. Because what Paul is calling us to do is to use the spiritual wisdom and the biblical principles that we learn from studying God's word to apply them to that person's problem redemptively so that they would become more like Christ and that they would kill their sin. And that's what you guys should be doing with one another. Especially the younger, younger people in here. Younger teenagers, young adults. I, I like to class myself as a young adult. I'm still in my 20s, so I class myself as a young adult. But I mean, even I still ask older, older saints and say, hey, you know, if I'm struggling with something, I'll go, hey, I'll, there's, you know, there's certain people I know who I can trust who are godly people, and I'll call to them and say, 
can I ask your opinion about something? Or can you tell me how you dealt with this? Uh, just a big example is for me is when I moved over here. You know, a lot of you know Pastor Briggs, our pastor, uh, another Scottish guy down at IBC. He's been a big help to me. He's been a big help to me because I moved over and I'm just sitting there going, around, I've just moved to America. What do I do now? One of the big things is not just, just spiritually, but even just practical things is I went to somebody who's done the same thing as me, who's moved to another country, but he's been here for 15 years. He's got the experience. And I say, hey, what did you do about this? How did you, how did you overcome this problem? Or this problem, this problem, or how did you, you know, various different things. Why, why did Americans think this when it really should be like this? I'm only joking. <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> but you know, that's what I mean. Like, that's just for me, that was a personal one where I was going to somebody older, more mature, mature in the faith and just older who has life experience to say, hey, how did you do this? And that's what we're called to do as Christians in the church. That spiritual wisdom and understanding is to be passed round. And so as members of the local church, we should feel no pressure or shame whatsoever to go to somebody in the church and say, hey, I need help with this. We should want to help each other grow in our faith. We want everyone to become more like Christ. At least that should be your heart if you're a, church, if you're a proclaiming Christian. You want every other person in your church and every other Christian you want into, you want them to become more like Christ. You want to see them get rid of their sin, to walk in holiness, to grow in holiness. And so you should want to help them and not, not embarrass them and say, oh, you, you struggle with that. I don't struggle with that. You, you don't have, don't do that. Please don't do that. And so, again, when you're looking to speak to mature Christians, I would class a mature Christian, just to kind of clarify that, somebody who has walked with the Lord for, for a good while, for a good number of years, somebody who's regularly in the Word, regularly at church, somebody who knows God's Word inside and out, somebody who's in good standing with the church. And again, this could be a, this could be a, a, a guy or a girl. Again, I would always encourage... Um, females to go to females and males to go to males when it comes to various different things. Or whether it's married couples and you need help. If you're a younger married couple, you go and ask an older married couple, how did you deal with this? Or what did you do about this? There's so many things that we need to do, but we need to have the humility. We need to humble ourselves so that we can ask for help. Because when you think about it, ultimately, didn't we humble ourselves when we came to Christ and asked for him to forgive us of our sins. Isn't that what we did? Isn't that what Christ did? Didn't he humble himself from the glories of heaven, humbled himself, came to earth not as a king, but as a servant to serve sinners so that they could be saved, so that we could all be saved. And so we should be called to humble ourselves, to ask other people for help in the church. And I think I want to just give you one final example before we conclude talking about passing spiritual wisdom on to the next generation, older, you older ones in here who have walked with the Lord for a while, it is absolutely your priority to give spiritual wisdom to the biblical principles that you've learned over your life to pass them down to the future generations. Because my homeland did not do that, and that is why Scotland is in the spiritual state it is in right now. 60 years ago, every single church was packed in Scotland, and in my town of Paisley, which is just outside Glasgow, there was five churches within a mile of each other. All, and, I, and these are the big old stone buildings built in like the year 1200 before America even existed. They were all full. 
And now today, you've got all these empty church buildings taking up a lot of room, but nobody using them. And the reason that happened is, is because at some point in the previous generations, a certain generation decided or were not uh, taught well enough to pass those biblical principles, to pass the wisdom of God down to their kids. Now, of course, God saves who you will save. I'm not saying that you inherit salvation through just because your parents are Christians. But what actually happened and what a lot of what uh, contributed to Scotland's spiritual state in general at the moment is that a whole generation never got preached the gospel. And so all those older people eventually die and there's a big gap. And that's, that's what happened in Scotland. And if we're not careful, that is what will happen in America as well. And it'll happen in all the countries that do not preach the gospel. So you older ones, whether you're a parent or a grandparent, I remember I read a good article recently, I can't remember, it was Gospel Coalition or whatever, and it was like how to be a good grandparent or something like that. And they basically said, if you're a grandparent, your job is not to fill your grandkids with sweets and hand them back to their parents. <laughs> your job, in all seriousness, is to make sure, A, what the big one was, enforce the discipline that the parents are upon the child so the child grows up uh, well-mannered, but to pass on the biblical principles the spiritual wisdom that you have gained in your 50, 60, 70 years here on earth, or however old you are, pass that down to the parents, or if the child is old enough to actually understand what you're saying, pass it down to them. You need to do this. I'll need to do this if I ever have kids one day, because otherwise there's going to be a gap. Your children or your grandchildren eh, won't hear the gospel. They won't, they won't become Christians. They, you know, they won't be saved. And then that just leaves a big gap, and the next thing you know, you've got a, you've got a, a, a spiritual bankruptcy in, in the country. And that's what happened in my home country, and I'm praying that it does not happen here. And so that's just the final thing I wanted to say, is that just make sure you're passing down that spiritual wisdom. And the only way you can do that, spiritual wisdom comes from God's word. We're encouraged uh, by Paul in his letter to the Colossians to be full, to be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding, to be covered in it, to be crammed with it. We do this by learning biblical principles from God's word. How do we learn those biblical principles? We take the time to study the word. We don't just read a passage for five minutes. We take maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes and read it. Maybe have a commentary. If you've got a good study Bible that has good study notes, read the notes with the background so you actually understand what God is saying in that context and how it can apply to you. We do this by learning those biblical principles and also by increasing in the knowledge of it. Again, just by learning our Bibles more and more, God will use his spirit to help retain that information. And if we continue, again, we keep continuing. That's why we need to continue to read the word because as you live on earth 50, 60, 70 years, you're going to forget things you learned 20 years ago and you have to refresh yourself of it so you know what you're talking about. And also, as we talked about just there, that spiritual wisdom can be learned through the mature believers in the local church helping those who are less mature in the faith. Remember, now, key word there was faith. I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about how spiritually mature you are. You could have a 30-year-old who is more spiritually mature than a 70-year-old. So make sure you're passing that wisdom down. You're studying your Bibles well because ultimately that is how we become more like Christ. It's how we come, uh, fall more in love with God. And again, we pass those things down, we preach the gospel, we reach the lost, and overall, the kingdom of God is growing and Christ is glorified. Remember that God loves you, that you can trust him with your life, 
and that his word is there to instruct us for our good, not for our bad, but for our good. God loves you. He wants you to obey this, and he will bless you if you are obedient. He blesses those who are faithful to him. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you this morning for our time together in your word. Lord, your word, your word is is amazing to us, Lord, that you would give us written commands from the very mouth of God to instruct us in righteousness, to train us in doctrine. Lord, your word is infallible. It is perfect. It is the only source of wisdom we can truly trust in this world. We just pray that you would reignite a hunger in all of us to want to study your word, to learn your word, that your spirit would work in us and convict us if we do not have that hunger. Lord, that we would be able to make informed and good decisions in our lives, whether it be in the workplace with our family, or just during everyday decisions. May we ask ourselves, Lord, if it glorifies you, if your word has anything to say about it, what are the biblical principles that we, can, that we know that we can apply to the situation? Because when we do those things, Lord, when you take those things into consideration, we are doing your will. Paul, the apostle, says that we are to be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding, and that can only come from your word, Lord. Thank you that Veritas Church is a church that stands on the foundation of your word. There are many churches out there, Lord, that do not listen to your word. They claim to be a church, but yet they they say your word is mistakes, that has errors. Lord, you are perfect. You created this world. You have no mistakes. You, you, You do not have any weaknesses. But we do, Lord. And that's why we need your word. That's why we need your spirit to work in us. So that we would glorify Christ. That we would go and make disciples and tell others about the saving grace of Jesus. And ultimately that our lives would glorify you. Help us, Lord, we pray. May the remainder of this meeting be honoring to you. Glorifying to you. And may we meditate upon these things this week. And we ask this. In the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh. Amen.